0: Good morning folks, welcome to Cornerstone. And uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Steve Robinson and you've joined us as we step into a new series looking at the book of Philippians, which we've had read for us, the whole book. And it's really good for us to spend our time to read it right through because this is a, a letter that has been written by the Apostle Paul to his good friends. So before we come to it, why don't I pray? Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. And I just ask that as we enter into this new series, that you would bless us, that you would teach us, that you would come and meet us. And we pray these things for your glory's sake. Amen. The word that has been used more than any other word in the past 12 months, apart from the words mute, lockdown, bubble, asymptomatic, is the word unprecedented. It is unprecedented how often we have used the word unprecedented. (laughs) See, the word unprecedented is used to describe something that has not been experienced or something that has not been completed before. And in our case, it's been used because we have never before in our lifetime experienced life in the midst of a pandemic. For us all, the pandemic and the related restrictions, at best folks have been tedious, and at worst, they have been heartbreaking. With stress, anxiety, and can I also say, discontentment levels increasing right across the board. These are, and it has been said many times, on many occasions, unprecedented times. But what is not unprecedented for our culture and our generation are the responses. Stress, anxiety, and discontentment. See, stress and anxiety and discontentment are the three pillars that seem to hold up the cultural moment that we find ourselves in. Most people are stressed. Anxiety is the undertone of too many people's existence. And so many people are not happy with their lot, with their life, with their marriages, with their jobs, with their church. And despite knowing that the grass still needs cutting, the desire for having a greener lawn is ever present with many of us. See folks, it's these three pillars of stress, anxiety and discontentment are constantly being underpinned because of the cultural kingdom that we live in. The constant images of brokenness that we see on the 24 hour news, which in the main is bad news. Social media friendships that are not social are really friendly and more often than not present lives that aren't true, are constantly strengthening the foundations of our thought processes that shape how we live and how we move forward into the future. And as Christians, we are not immune to the pillars of the cultural moment. See, folks, even us as Christians, sadly, we find ourselves being, being crushed in some way by these pillars. We are stressed. We are anxious. We do find at times that we are discontent. And these things can overwhelm us, and these things can start to shape how we live. Folks, as Christians, we need to be reminded that in the reality of our situations that do bring stress and anxiety, we do have a joy in the gospel. That we as Christians are citizens of another kingdom that defines a greater reality for us. And the story of Jesus is to be reflected in the story of our lives as we follow him in triumphant victory through humble sacrifice that enables us to be content and joyful in any circumstance. Now in this letter, this is what Paul is trying to do as he writes to his dear friends in Philippi. In response to their care for him, he writes a personal letter filled with affection and joy for them that is Christ-focused and Christ-centered. And as he centers his thoughts around the humble incarnation and exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He causes dear friends to lift their heads, to lift their heads in the midst of their cultural moments, to lift their heads to an eternal hope that informs their present reality of being citizens of heaven and encourages them to live lives of holiness, lives that are worthy of the call of the gospel, which in turn fosters joy, contentment. And peace. See, Paul is writing a letter to a church who was seeking to live as Christians in the midst of an opposing kingdom 2,000 years ago. And Paul shares love, loving truths, and gospel gold, folks, that is relevant for us today. And the hope is that as we make our way over the next three months through this wonderful letter, that we as people will come to enjoy Jesus so much more and then as we live we will make him look magnificent whether we live or whether we die now we've had the the whole book read for us but i just want us to read again the first two verses of chapter one why don't we read them together paul and timothy servants of christ jesus To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the greatest encouragements that we get as a church is hearing news of what God is doing around the world. Only a couple of weeks ago I was in a a prayer meeting with Acts 29. I, I mentioned it last week where there were people from all over the world sharing what God had been doing. Now this is encouraging when we hear it full stop but folks, it is really encouraging when we hear it from people that we know, when we hear it from people that we have personal relationship with, when we hear it from people that we have gospel partnerships with. Folks, let me remind you, we, we are part of, a uh, of yes, a global network called Acts 29, but we're also part of a local network, a communion of churches called the Cornerstone Collective, churches that have been planted from Cornerstone Church Liverpool. And we have a deep communion, a deep union, a deep partnership. So when we hear about what God is doing, a cornerstone we're all, or liberty, and, and we, as we hope to move forward to plant Hope Church, we get excited hearing about what God has done. Let me remind you that we are in relationship with Vlad and Warner in Timisoara, Romania. Vlad was saved at Cornerstone Church about 10 years ago, and by God's grace now is a pastor of a church that he has planted in Timisoara, a, a Doolam Church. And so when you hear when, what God has been doing there, it is a real encouragement. Folks, we support a church in Mumbai, also called Cornerstone Church, with our friends Sujith and Cheryl. Um, Cheryl they, 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 they are serving in Mumbai seeking to win people for Jesus and we have a wonderful partnership with the folks of Frontline Church in Oklahoma City so when we hear about what God is doing in their context it fills us with joy. Folks it is such an encouraging thing to hear about what God is doing in the lives of people that we know and the lives of churches that we love and this letter the Paul sends reads like a missionary report he is sharing all that God is doing he's writing to these gospel partners these people that he loves these people who love him not only do they love him they pray for him not only are they praying for him they are providing for him and through this letter he he seeks to reassure them of his prayers his affection towards them also Now, throughout the letter, Paul will be updating them on his personal circumstances. He shares the encouragements of the ministry effectiveness, what God is revealing to him, and what his hopes and his desires are, whilst simultaneously speaking into real issues that the church in Philippi are experiencing. And he seeks to encourage them in and through these issues. See, the letter shows the church... That the story of Paul, and all of our stories for that matter, are to be reflections of the story of Jesus. So what Paul is going to do, and what he does, he builds around the beautiful description of Jesus that we had read for us in chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. This beautiful short description, a poem, a, a hymn of the incarnation, the death, resurrection, ascension and exaltation of the Lord Jesus. And what he does is Paul gives real examples from his own story and the story of others of how Jesus has defined them and then how Jesus Jesus' story is reflected through their stories and in doing so, we will be reminded of how Jesus' story has defined us and it also shows, shows us that our own stories are to be reflections of the story of Jesus. Folks, in light of that, as we read that in the, in the reality of where we are, we are to work out our own salvation with fearing, and trembling, as we look to the king of the kingdom that we are a part of. And right at the beginning of this letter, right in, the, in, the, in what is called the greeting of the letter, right in the first two verses, this is what is ha- happening. See, as we start out this study, I want us to see in the early stages, Paul's heart. And how what comes after this greeting shapes the beginning of this letter. See, in these first two verses, I want us to see that it's Paul's understanding of Jesus Christ that shapes his understanding of himself, his role, and it also shapes his heart for the church and his desire for the church in Philippi. So there are three things in these two verses that I want us to see. Number one is this, Paul's humility in leadership. I want us to see Paul's heart for the church in Philippi and I want us to see Paul's desire for the church in Philippi that is completely shaped by his understanding of the Lord Jesus and that beautiful description that we see in chapter 2. So the first thing is this, I want us to see his humility in leadership. Like all letters that the Apostle Paul writes, he begins by highlighting his authorship And along with his authorship, his role, his authority. Now, in this letter, we see in verse 1 that he stated the authors are both himself and Timothy. Now, as you read through this, because Paul makes reference to Timothy, it's probably penned by Paul's hands. But because Paul and Timothy are working together and because it's Paul's intention to send Timothy, and we'll read that as we go through the letter to the church in Philippi, he puts down Paul and Timothy. Now, for those of you who listen, who who is this Paul that we're talking about? Who's this guy that's writing this letter? Why are we so interested in him? Now, folks, if you read in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, what you read when you get to chapter 9 is that the Apostle Paul, before becoming a Christian and before becoming a leader in the church, was actually somebody who was opposed to Jesus. He was opposed to Jesus, and he was opposed to the church, and he saw his role and his leadership as, as, as... as a function to stop the spread of the good news of Jesus, to destroy the church. And Paul would arrest people. He would go around seeking to stop. And whilst on the way to Damascus with letters, giving him the authority to arrest people who followed Jesus, Jesus met him. Jesus dealt with him. Jesus saved him. And Jesus gave him a job to do. He said that you are going to be the instrument that I use to take the good message of me, not only to those who are Jews, those who are from Israel, but to the rest of the world. I'm gonna use you, Paul. And it's interesting, it is the Apostle Paul that goes to Philippi because the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, I want you to go to that area. He meets a lady called Lydia, she gets saved. A young girl who's a slave girl, she gets saved. And whilst in prison, and through a miraculous event, one of the jailers gets saved. So, so, so Paul here is a guy that did not love Jesus, now loves Jesus and actually the fruit of his life that people are coming to know Jesus. Timothy was a young man, you read in Acts 16, where Timothy was raised um, in the faith by his mother and his grandmother and people saw the potential with and respected him so, so, so Timothy became a follower of Jesus, but also Paul took him under his wing to encourage him, to support him, to, to build him up so that he also could be a leader in the church to see more people come to know him now folks in many of his letters Paul begins with his God-given authority of an apostle so when you read with with some of the other letters that he writes to some other churches he describes himself as Paul the apostle of Jesus Christ the apostle an apostle being someone who has seen the Lord Jesus Christ and has been given the specific mandate to take the good news of Jesus to places where it has not yet been proclaimed now we could talk all about all day about whether or not there are apostles today but when we talk about apostles in terms of the apostle paul it is the apostles of, of which the word of god was written through the proclamation of the gospel was first made in and through the power of the holy spirit and that our faith is based upon the teachings of the apostles the 12 disciples and 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 the apostle paul But Paul here doesn't describe himself or Timothy as an apostle, but rather servants. Servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word servant actually means slave. And a slave was owned by their master. So what the apostle Paul is doing as he writes to the church, what he's saying is that our role Our status is that we are slaves of Jesus Christ. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are owned by our master. In fact, as you look at chapter 3, verse 12, as we move through the letter, Paul actually gives the reason why he presses on in the faith and and seeks to see this crown that is found in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason why he's living for Jesus is because Jesus Christ has made him, Paul, his own. See, Paul recognises that he is owned by Christ. The declaration of saying that he is servant, he's saying, look, we, Paul and Timothy, we serve Jesus and we serve his people. And as we see throughout the letter, there are a number of times where this is highlighted. In chapter 1, verses 21 to 26, you, you see some of the a famous verse, which is for me to live as Christ and to die is Gain. See, what, 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 what Paul is saying there, as you read through that, is that my reason for living is the Lord Jesus. But if I die, I get to see, him, I gain. And as you read that through, what he, what he goes on to say is that, look, if I die, I go to be with Christ. But if I live, that is good for you, Christians in Philippi. Because, because I can proclaim more of the goodness and grace of Jesus to you, so therefore you will, you will know him more. See, the whole purpose and existence of Paul was that he was a slave. He was a servant of Jesus to serve Christ and to serve his people. And this humility of service, this, this idea of humbling oneself to, to, to serve another, is seen in the beautiful picture that we have in chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. See, this humility is shaped and defined by the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. This servanthood is shaped and defined by what we see in that wonderful description of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus leaves the throne room of heaven and humbles himself in obedience even unto death. Folks, authentic Christian leadership is following the leader of the church, Jesus and authentic leadership is christ-like leadership and christ-like leadership is servant leadership humbling oneself for the good of the other creating an atmosphere and platform for others to flourish the lord jesus christ died in order that we could live Authentic leadership is Christ-like servant leadership. And we will see this as we go through the letter. In chapter 2, Paul actually uses his own example that pours from the example of Jesus. He makes reference to the humility of Timothy and the humility of Epaphroditus. See folks, right at the beginning of the letter, we see how the story of Christ has humbled Paul. Humbled him before Jesus, but also... Humbled him before those who he is leading. Do you recall when the Lord Jesus was here um, with his ministry, with his disciples? Do you recall that you read it in March chapter 10? James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, they were brothers. They came to the Lord Jesus and they said, when your kingdoms come, can one of us sit on your right hand and one of us sit on your left hand? And the Lord Jesus says to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup? Are you able to have the baptism that I am going to face? You don't understand what you are asking. And then he goes on to the, to say this. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you, must be a servant and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many for those who are leaders folks in our church those who aspire for leadership our leadership is defined by christ and is shaped by Christ, the one who was obedient unto death for our sake and for the glory of his father. The Lord Jesus, as he speaks to his disciples, says, you will not lord it over others like the Gentiles do. But for those who are to be great amongst you, let him be a minister, let him be a servant. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Authentic leadership is a call to the service of our master and a service to is people. Folks, it is not about platform. It is not about our praise. It's not about our worth. It's not about our place. It's not about our satisfaction. It's about service to Jesus and service to his people. And this can be seen in all different forms. We'll see it different with Paul. We'll see it different with Timothy. We see it different with Epaphroditus. Different kind of people with different kind of personalities and different giftings. But all their leadership and all our leadership for those who lead is to be defined by Christ. Servant-hearted leadership. But folks, this isn't just for leaders. This This is true for us all. We as Christians are all servants of Christ. We are all slaves to our master because each and every one of us have been bought with a price. And Christ has made each and every one of us his own. We are his. And our call is to save him and to save others. Our call is to love him and to love others. We want to serve the master. And we serve the master in serving those that he has called us to do life with our brothers and sisters in Christ. To love God and to love our neighbours. Folks, this servant or so this humble Christ-like servant leadership, this humble Christ-like servanthood is true of is all. And what we see right at the beginning of the letter, Paul describes himself and Timothy as servants of Christ and servants of the church. We see his humility in leadership. Number two, we see his heart for the church in Philippi. Paul then states who the letter is for. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. See, Paul is writing to Christians in the city of Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony. It was actually known as Little Rome. And you, even though you weren't in Rome, you were part of the Roman Empire, and you would have had all the privilege of being people of Rome. Things such as exemptions from significant forms of tax, privileges connected to land ownership, and also the benefits of being part of a commerce city because Philippi was located on a really important commercial road. Now, the privilege of being part of that city would have been felt in all quarters of the population, including the church. Benefits and privileges that were theirs because they were citizens of the Roman Empire, of which they would have been constantly reminded of. If you were living in Philippi at the time, you wouldn't have been able to get away from the culture. You wouldn't have been able to get away from the religion, the the emperor worship along with the worship of a pantheon of of other gods, you wouldn't have been able to get away from the lifestyle, the power, the significance of being the people of the Roman Empire. You knew if you lived in Philippi, what kingdom you were a part of. And this cultural dynamic meant that the gospel was met with resistance. What you'll see as you read in Acts, right from the birth of the church, It was met with persecution, it was met with resistance. So if you were a Christian and you lived for Christ, you were set apart. That's why Paul addresses his letter to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Now saints doesn't mean people who have been venerated by an organization or a religious uh, movement like like what was happening um, in the pagan worship of the Roman Empire. No, saints means all Christians. It means those who are holy, those who are set apart in Christ. See, Paul is saying, I am writing to all those who are holy, all those who are set apart from the world, all those who have found all sufficient life through faith in Jesus. And throughout the letter, Paul highlights what this set-apartness is what this holiness is as we read through it. See, in chapter 3, he calls them citizens of heaven. They were living in a city. They were very aware of what kingdom they were part of. But Paul says to them, no, 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 you are citizens of heaven, declaring to them what their primary kingdom is. In chapter 1, verse 27, he calls them to live lives worthy of the gospel, lives that reflect the fullness of life that they have in Christ Jesus. And that will be seen in how they conduct themselves. In chapter 2, verse 14, he says, do everything without grumbling. Verse 15 of chapter 2, live as lights in the world. Paul is writing this letter to the church of Jesus. The church being people who through faith in Jesus have found all sufficient life that stands in contrast to what is on offer in the city of Philippi. That stands in contrast to what is seen as normal in the city of Philippi. See, as Christians, they have a new way of living, a new perspective. They have a union with Jesus and with each other that fosters a unique unique, unity and partnership that we will see all over this letter. And folks, this is who we are. This is who we are. We are saints in Christ Jesus. Saints in Christ Jesus who are in the wonderful city of Liverpool. We have been set apart with our brothers and sisters in Christ to live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus as citizens of his kingdom in unity together with a gospel perspective and a gospel vision. We are the saints. We are the church in Liverpool. Do we recognize that? Do we see that? One of the things that I find really interesting when, when, when I travel or when I go on holiday is you could be anywhere in the world, right? You could be anywhere in the world and I, I will assure you, a Scouser will pop up. Wherever you go, there's a Scouser. And as a Scouser, as a someone who's proud of coming from Liverpool, loves being part of Liverpool, understands all the privileges that come from being... Part of of Liverpool when you travel somewhere and you might be with a group of people or you might meet some people or you might be at a table or on a bus or just walking in a town and you hear that accent or you engage with someone they say oh yeah we're from Liverpool there is this unique connection that us as Scousers have that I don't think anyone else has it's like we look at each other as goes we know where we're from none of these get it we know We recognize we're not part of this world. We're part of the People's Republic of Liverpool. Now, folks, if you're from Liverpool, you get exactly what I'm saying. If you're not from Liverpool, we'll just bypass the last 30 seconds. But that is true. You have a connection that brings this weird union and communion because we're and We could be in the the streets of of Africa or, or, or the towns in America. You meet a Scouser and there is a connection that says, none of these people get us, but we get each other. We understand it, wherever you find yourselves in. Folks, that is true for us as the church. We have a communion. We are holy people. We have been set apart by Christ. We have a connection in this city that is different. We are not part, as much as we love Liverpool, we're not part of the kingdom of Liverpool. We're part of the kingdom of heaven. And as Christians, we have a deeper union and a deeper communion and a deeper connection because of Christ. The fars outweigh any connection that any Scouser will have with each other see Paul is writing to the church which he loves but what's interesting is as we read this through the church isn't just Christians in a city people who are just like well I'm a Christian no no, no. there is some sort of structure to who they are some sort of organization that enables them to live as citizens of the kingdom that will bring blessing that's why Paul writes to all the saints but he also addresses the overseers and the deacons. He, he addresses the leadership community of the church. Another word for overseer is elder, and the word deacon means servant. Now, as you read through other letters that Paul has written, wrote to Timothy and to to Titus, the importance of leadership within the church and the qualifications and the reason for leadership in the church is highlighted there. So I'd encourage you, go and read 1 and 2 Timothy. Go and read the book of Titus. But such was Paul's love for the church, he understood that Christ-like leadership was needed and is needed for God's people to live as saints in any given community. Now, elders, folks, overseers, they have the the spiritual oversight of a church. They are to lead the, the, the focus of the church to shepherd, to feed, to teach, and to lead people as they seek to live as citizens of Jesus's kingdom. Elders are to be spiritually mature, and this maturity extends to godly influence as they set vision within their locality for the glory of Jesus and the good of the church. And the role of the deacons is to humbly carry out that vision on a practical level. Folks, godly leadership of humble influence and service, despite our culture's mistrust of leadership, should give church members a sense of security and a sense of safety. This week, I jumped on a Zoom call with George and Kate Osborne and a few of their people from the church plant that God willing are going to be planted in Kensington Hope Church. And it was a Zoom call with a number of supporters that have been supporting George and Kate for many years in their ministry. And it was to give vision to, to what God was calling them to do in Kentington. It was a wonderful time. We, we were able to hear from different people. We were able to hear about the vision and people were able to engage so that they can ask questions. But one of the team was asked to just share about what God had been doing somebody that has been a cornerstone for a number of years and as she shared about her and her husband's uh, journey to being part of Hope Church Kensington it was amazing to hear what God was doing. they had no intention she had no intention of being part of, of, of um, Hope Church and in fact when George came and started talking about it she made it very clear that her husband wasn't to engage with George just in case it would happen praise God now that go in But one of the things that she said, which really struck me, she said, I was concerned about moving from Cornerstone Church because this was our home. This is where we were growing. And then she said, but as I got to know George, as I got to know Kate, and as I got to know George and his heart and his vision and his leadership, I felt safe with him. I felt safe. I feel safe under his leadership, she said. Folks, godly leadership of humble influence and service, despite our culture's, culture's mistrust of leadership, should give church members a sense of security and safety because those people are seeking to lead God's people to the Lord Jesus, who defines our stories for his glory. See, Paul loves the church, hence writing the letter to them but he loves the church, that he also addresses the leaders of the church. And folks, a church will not be any healthier than its leaders. It just won't be. So pray for the leaders of Cornerstone Church. Pray for the leaders of the Cornerstone Collective. Pray for the leaders of all the churches that we have gospel partnership with, that they will grow in humble servanthood as they look to Jesus. And in doing so, create a safe environment and a safe place for people to flourish as Christians. And throughout the letter, Paul is going to share in his letter that the leaders of the church need to hear and live out what it is to be a citizen of the kingdom. For the glory of God and for the good of the church that they lead. See, right at the beginning, we see his heart for the church. And finally, we see his desire for the church in Philippi. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. See that in verse 2. Folks, grace and peace are the heart of the Christian message. And, and, and all grace and all peace comes from God. He is the source. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy. He is the source of all grace. He is the source of all peace. And the first two verses of this letter, letter are covered in the grace of God. Folks, let me remind you, Paul and Timothy are not servants of Christ because of their religious activity. They're not servants of Jesus Christ because of their gifting. They're servants of Jesus Christ because of the grace of God. In fact, as we read in chapter 3, we'll see that Paul says that. He says, If anybody has reason to boast in, in what he has done, that's me. But let me tell you this that is all rubbish compared to knowing the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. That is all rubbish. I've been saved by his grace, nothing through what I have done, everything through what Christ has done. Folks, if you don't understand what grace is, grace is we get what we don't deserve. What we deserve is the punishment and the wrath of God because we've rejected him. But God in his love has sent the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. Jesus pays that punishment on the cross and we come to the Father in and through that sacrifice and in and through that resurrection. That, that means that we can be forgiven it means that we are pardoned it means that we can have hope and assurance for this life and for the next eternal life we get given that when we don't deserve it see the christians that paul is writing to are saints and they're not saints because of anything that they've done they're not saints because their gifts they're not saints because they've been kind to paul and generous to paul they are saints because of the grace of god and Paul highlights, uh, along as we, as we walk through the letter, he'll tell them in v- chapter 1, verse 7, that they are also partakers of this grace with him. And that the, the work in verse 6 of chapter 1, that God began, he will bring to completion. Folks, the saving work of God starts with God and will end with God. We bring nothing to the table apart from our sin. And Jesus deals with that. And folks, that saving grace brings the objective peace with God an objective peace so through faith in Jesus Christ we we receive the grace of God and that breaks down any hostility that we have with God we no longer sit under his wrath and his judgments no we are brought in because of the saving work of Jesus and therefore we have peace with God we have peace with him grace and peace folks are the heart of the gospel message, and they shape who we are as servants and saints. But Paul is writing to a people who know the saving grace and peace of God. This is, this is confirmed, this is affirmed, and that will never change. So what is Paul saying when he says to Christians who know the saving grace and peace of God, what is, what is he saying to them when he says grace and peace to you, when they already have it? See, it's not that Paul wants them to have saving grace because they have it, but rather that they enter into a fuller experience of that grace. Folks, grace isn't just something that saves me. I need grace to live a life worthy of the gospel. I need grace every moment of the day. I need grace every minute of the day. And folks, I want us to understand that grace isn't some sort of force. No, grace is a person. See, Paul wants the church in Philippi to have a fuller experience of Jesus. A fuller experience of who he is and who they are because of him. He wants them to have a fuller experience of the saving grace. And actually that grace that enables them to live these lives that we have been called to. And it's this experience of grace in our lives that will lead us to peace. Yes, peace and salvation, but also peace within our souls as we live for him. A peace that Paul describes in chapter 4. As a peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that enables him to be content in any circumstance. Folks, a peace that can only be experienced because of the grace of God. A peace that can only be experienced because of grace that comes from God. See, Paul's desire for the church in Philippi is that they enter into a fuller experience of grace. And that they have a peace in their souls as they live in their cultural moment. And, folks, in our culture and in our world that is riddled with stress, anxiety, and discontentment, we as elders want you, we want us to know the grace and peace that comes from God yes we have been saved yes there is no longer hostility between us and God but we need his grace we need to know that peace that surpasses understanding we need to learn to be content in all circumstances and not allow the pillars of our culture of stress anxiety and discontentment to overwhelm and to shape how we live and for those of you listening who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who are not Christians. We want you to know the saving grace and peace that comes from God in Jesus. If you're not a believer in Jesus, you sit under the judgment and wrath of God. You do. And if you've rejected him for your life, he will give you in an eternity what you've wanted in this short life. An eternity without him. And folks, an eternity without, without God, an eternity under the wrath and judgment of God, Jesus says, is a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. But Christ in his goodness has come to save us, to pay what we owe, to die in our place so that we can be forgiven and know peace with God. This is what we want for you if you do not know Jesus. This is what your friends want for you as they've invited you onto this or invited you to church. And folks, we as Christians, beloved, we live as citizens another kingdom we are people we are saints set apart for his glory to reflect his glory to the world what an impact we will have what a contrast that will be if we do this from a fuller experience of grace and peace found in and through our Lord Jesus Christ I don't know about you but I am looking forward to getting stuck into this wonderful letter and I pray that we will be blessed and come to a fuller understanding of what it is to know Jesus and to live for him. Let's pray. Father in heaven thank you for Jesus. I thank you that it is because of him we are saved. It's because of him we know his grace. Because of him he who is grace has impacted our lives and we have peace with you. Help us to live as the saints that you say that we are. Help us, those of us who lead and influence, help us to be humble Christ-like servants. But Help us to grow in the knowledge of Jesus and abound in an understanding of him so that we know grace and know a peace in all circumstances. And Lord, I pray, as we spend the next three months walking through this beautiful letter, you will impact us as individuals and impact us as a church so that we will live lives that shine as lights in this city. And I pray these things for your glory and for our good. Amen. God bless you.